Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thy God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thy my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Thus far, we read God's holy word. Our text is verses 5 and 6. 5 and 6. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Beloved, as we have considered this psalm together, you might wonder how David could fall so disastrously into sin. Consider who this man was. David was a man after God's own heart. 
David was a godly king, if not the godliest king, and yet David committed the sin of adultery and murder. David was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was able, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he was able to write beautiful poetry to the praise of God, as we have it in the Psalms, to be used in God's public worship in all ages. And yet David committed the sin of adultery and murder. And one place to seek an answer to that question, how could David have fallen so disastrously into sin? One place to look in the creeds is the Canons of Dort, Head 5, Article 4. Canons of Dort, Head 5, Article 4, on page 74 at the back of the Psalter, gives us a partial answer to that question. Although the weakness of the flesh cannot prevail against the power of God who confirms and preserves true believers in a state of grace, then notice this, yet converts are not always so influenced and actuated by the Spirit of God as not in some particular instances sinfully to deviate from the guidance of divine grace so as to be seduced by and comply with the lusts of the flesh. They must therefore be constant in watching and prayer that they be not led into temptation. When these are neglected, they are not only liable to be drawn into great and heinous sins by Satan, the world, and the flesh, but sometimes by the righteous permission of God actually fall into these evils, this the lamentable fall of David, Peter, and other saints described in Holy Scripture demonstrates. So generally speaking, converts, believers like David, are influenced and actuated or even moved by the Holy Spirit and by divine grace. That is, generally speaking, what happens with respect to the child of God. But, says this creed, the Canons of Dort, that does not mean that converts, believers like David, that does not mean that they cannot turn aside from the guidance of divine grace. And the language of the creed is sinfully to deviate. To deviate is to turn aside from. And so it's possible for the child of God to turn aside from, to deviate from the guidance of divine grace. And when that happens, the child of God, like David here, is seduced by the lusts of the flesh. 
and the lust of the flesh, they are an inner temptation within the child of God that lures him into a path of wickedness and says the article of the canons, it's possible for them to be lured by those lusts of the flesh and even to comply with those lusts of the flesh, that is to say, to obey those lusts of the flesh. That's what happened to David. He sinfully deviated from the guidance of divine grace, and he was seduced by, and he complied with the lusts of the flesh. And notice that the fault for that deviation, the fault for that turning aside from the guidance of divine grace, the fault is the sinners. It's not the fault of the grace of God. And so if someone does this, someone sinfully deviates from the guidance of divine grace, they cannot say, It's the fault of God's grace. God did not keep me in such a way that I did not fall into sin. In fact, the canons emphasize the responsibility of man and say the believer, he must watch and pray. And if he neglects to watch and pray, as David did, he neglected to watch and pray. If he neglects to watch and pray, then he is in great spiritual danger and he is liable to fall. And that's an explanation of what happened with respect to David. He neglected his duties as the king. He did not go and fight against the enemies of God with his army. He allowed himself to look upon Bathsheba, and he was gripped by lust. He did not watch and pray against temptation, but rather he sinfully deviated, or he turned aside from the guidance of divine grace, and then he was seduced by his lusts and complied with them. That can happen also to us if we decide foolishly to follow the example of David and the canons say that by the righteous permission of God, sometimes his people fall into such evils. Now you can imagine David now having fallen into this sin and having come to repentance. You can imagine that he was thinking and musing upon that very question. How did I fall so far into sin? How did I, a convert, a child of God, a debtor to God's grace, a king, an office bearer in God's church, how did I commit such evils? And of course, he could have looked at his circumstances. He could have said, I was idle. I opened myself up to temptations. I was a fool. 
And David, if he had access to Canons 5.4, would have agreed with its assessment. And if David had known about James 1, he would have agreed with that also. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. But David goes deeper than that. And as David thinks about this question and examines himself, he makes a horrifying discovery. I, he says about himself, I am evil, born in sin, to echo what the Psalter says. I am evil, born in sin. And so notice then, beloved, a confession of inborn depravity. A confession of inborn depravity. Notice what we are, what God requires, and what God gives. Both verses in the text, verses 5 and 6, begin with the same word, behold. And behold is the Bible's word to express surprise or to call attention to something. Behold means, look, look at this. Behold is an exclamation. In verse 5, David says, Behold, iniquity. Behold, iniquity. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. With those words, shapen and conceived, David is thinking back, to his origin as a human being. Even before his birth, when he was still in the womb of his mother, he speaks about being shapen. And that word shapen is a translation of a Hebrew word which means to writhe or to twist in pain or to be in anguish. And from that basic idea of writhing and twisting in pain and being in anguish, the word came to be used of women bearing and bringing forth children. Isaiah 51 verse 2, Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. The same word, Sarah, that bear you. I was shapen, says David. I was brought forth. I was born. And the other word, conceived, is a translation of a Hebrew word, which means to be warm. And the idea there is of a woman cherishing a child in her womb. 
to be warm. And so David here is mentioning his mother. Shapen and conceived. Those two verbs refer to his mother. My mother did conceive me. I was shapen. Now, of course, David might have said a number of things about his conception and birth. David was the eighth son of a godly Israelite man of the tribe of Judah. David's father, as we know, was called Jesse, who was in the line of Boaz in the book of Ruth. We came from a godly line of Israelites. David's mother is not named in Scripture, but he, David's father, clearly married a pious Jew. In Psalm 116.16, David calls himself the son of thine handmaid. So his mother was a handmaid, was a servant of the Lord. She was a pious Jew. She was a godly woman. And so David was a covenant child, born and raised in a God-fearing home. We know, of course, about David's childhood piety and David's childhood godliness and faith from other psalms. Psalm 22, for example, he says, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. We sang from Psalm 71. By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. Or the well-known words of Psalm 139. Thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So David could say, Behold, I was shapen. My mother writhed and brought me forth. Behold, I was conceived. My mother cherished me in her womb. That itself is worthy of a behold. Look, pay attention to this behold. But David here is not reflecting on the wonder of his conception and birth as such. As wonderful as they are, as praiseworthy they are as works of God. He's not so concerned here about his development in his mother's womb. Again, a wonderful work of God praised in other places in Scripture. But his focus in this psalm is on his sin. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive. 
me. That's also worthy of a behold. Now, in Hebrew, if you want to put emphasis on something, you can do a number of things. First of all, you can put that thing first in the sentence or in the clause, bring it forward. That's what David does here, because the word iniquity in the original and the word sin in the original are brought forward. Behold, in iniquity I was shapen. Behold, in sin my mother conceived me. Then you can also repeat it. Repeat something for emphasis, which of course is what David does here. He repeats it by saying iniquity and by saying sin. And you can put a behold in front of it to call attention to it. That's what David does here as well. He brings it forward, iniquity and sin. He repeats it, iniquity and sin, and he puts a behold. He puts two beholds in front of it to emphasize this important point, this thing which he has been thinking about, this thing which has, you might say, surprised him and shocked him and appalled him. I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What a humbling conclusion to make about yourself. I was conceived and born in iniquity and sin. We've seen in previous sermons what iniquity is. It is twistedness. It is perversity. It is the deviation from the standard of God. And David says about that iniquity, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, verse 2. But here he goes deeper and says, in iniquity I was shapen. And that's striking. And that's humbling to think about, about yourself, about myself. Something happened to us. Something happened to David in his mother's womb, even at the very moment of his conception, at the very beginning of his existence. He was twisted. He was perverted. He came forth, therefore, as a wretched, twisted, perverse creature. Not physically, you understand. He's not speaking here of a physical deformity he might have had, but this is a moral idea. He came forth from his mother. He came forth as something twisted and perverse, something obnoxious before the eyes of the holy God. Behold, in iniquity I was shapen. We also know what sin is. We saw that also in this psalm. It is blameworthiness, which consists in missing the mark of God's glory. He has confessed that too. Cleanse me from my sin, verse 2. My sin is ever before me, verse 3. And now again he goes deeper, 
Sin, he says, is not merely something that I have done, but a sinner is what I am. I am sinful. Something happened to David, and something happened to us as we were cherished in our mother's womb. Something mysterious happened, occurred at the very beginning of David's conception. In sin did my mother conceive me. As she warmed me, as she cherished me in her womb, I was in sin. I did not merely begin to commit sins, but I was born sinful. I was sinful already in the womb, long before I committed any sins. The Bible speaks of that multiple times in different ways. Genesis 8 verse 21 says this, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Job 15, 14. What is man that he should be clean, and he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Psalm 58. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like a deaf adder that stoppeth his ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. But our text is far clearer than that because it traces the iniquity and sinfulness of a child of God, not merely of the wicked, but of a child of God such as David. And it traces that iniquity and sinfulness of a child of God, not merely from his youth, but from his birth, and even from before his birth, from his conception in his mother's womb. Behold, Pay attention to this. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now notice a number of points about this verse. First, David here is not blame shifting. Blame shifting is a classic tactic of one who is not penitent. And remember, this psalm is the expression of repentance. David is penitent in this psalm. This is a frank and full confession of sin. He's not blame-shifting. He's not blaming his mother. He's not maligning the character of his mother as if she had done something inherently wrong in bearing him to Jesse. He's not saying either that there is something sinful, something essentially inherently iniquitous about childbirth. Nor is he blaming God as if it were God's fault that God the Creator had caused him to come forth this way, and therefore it was God's fault that he was shapen 
in iniquity and conceived in sin. Certainly God is sovereign over all of this, but it is not God's fault. Nor is he seeking a mitigating factor for his sin, an excuse for his sin. He's not saying, I was shapen in iniquity, and I was conceived in sin, and therefore I have an excuse for my behavior. I could not help it. I could not help committing adultery with Bathsheba. I could not help committing murder. It was my nature to do that. It's not my fault. Rather, he is aggravating his guilt. He is underlining it, and he is condemning himself for his sin. He is saying, I am not only guilty of specific transgressions, specific iniquities and sins against God's commandments, but worse than that, I am corrupt, I am wretched, I am a depraved creature. I am not only guilty of committing filthy acts, but my heart is filthy. It is a cesspool of filth. My soul is a source, a vile source of every form of wickedness. And that explains why I did what I did. Not because it gives me an excuse. It underlines my wickedness. And more than that, I knew this. This was not something I've just discovered. Yes, it has come home to me in a way perhaps stronger than before, but I knew this. I knew this. And I did not watch and pray. I was presumptuous. I was reckless. And I deserve to be in this predicament in which I find myself. I deserve to have had this lamentable fall into sin. I deserve all of the consequences of it too. And that's part, beloved, of a confession of sin. Confessing our depravity. Not merely our acts of sin, but our depravity. And confessing our depravity, not as an excuse for our sins, but as an aggravating factor of our guilt. Moreover, David views his depravity as a fact and as a wonder, but David here does not give us a full doctrinal explanation of it. He simply sets it forth and says about it, Behold, the New Testament sheds light upon these things, though. We learn, for example, from Romans chapter 5, that the first act of disobedience of Adam was imputed to all of his posterity. Romans 5.19, For by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made or many were constituted sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made or many constituted righteous. 
And then the Apostle Paul goes on to explain what David does not explain, the connection between Adam's first sin and then the universality of death. Romans 5 verse 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And nor does David explain as Paul does the how the imputation of that first sin of Adam leads to the corruption of Adam's nature so that the total depravity and original sin of Adam passes to all men through conception and birth. Those are mysteries that David perhaps doesn't even know about, but doesn't explain. He simply exclaims, Behold, in iniquity, in twistedness, and in perversity I was shapen. Behold, in sin, in blameworthiness I was conceived. Nor does David mention the great exception to this. His son, who will be coming in his line, the Son of God in our flesh, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the exception to this. Jesus Christ was not shapen in iniquity. And his mother Mary did not conceive him in sin. And that's not because of some holiness that Mary had of herself, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches, that she was herself immaculately conceived. In fact, Mary herself was shapen in iniquity, and Mary was conceived in sin. But the reason why Jesus was not shapen in iniquity and conceived in sin is because he is the Son of God, and he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the angel explains that to Mary in Luke one thirty-five. The Holy Ghost, he says, shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing, that holy thing, not conceived in sin, not shapen in iniquity, that holy thing, which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And the Catechism explains this also in Lord's Day 14. What profit dost thou receive by Christ's holy conception and nativity, that he is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sins, wherein I was conceived and brought forth. We have a sinless Savior He saves us, a sinful people who are conceived and born in sin. And he does that by his perfect sufferings and death on the cross for our salvation. That's the first behold, you might say. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother 
conceive me. And now there's a second behold. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. The first behold describes what we are. The second behold describes what we ought to be, what God requires that we should be. And the second behold stands in sharp contrast to the first behold. Here is what God desires. Truth. And truth where? In the inward parts. And here is what I am, and here is what David is, and here is what you are, and what we are. We are shapen in iniquity and conceived in sin, which is the opposite of truth in the inward parts. The opposite of what God desires or of what God requires. God, verse 6 says, desires truth. And again, that is put first in the Hebrew for emphasis. Behold truth in the inward parts thy desirest. Behold truth. And the idea of this word truth is integrity integrity, or honesty, or faithfulness, or uprightness, which is the opposite of perversity, and iniquity, and twistedness, which is the opposite of sin, and blameworthiness, truth. In the inward Parts. And the inward parts, of course, is a reference to our hearts, our souls, our minds, our wills. We can have or appear to have truth outwardly. A man might say about us, that person is truthful. That person has integrity. That person is a godly person. But the text goes deeper than that and says, truth in the inward parts, integrity and uprightness of the mind. Righteous, upright thoughts. Integrity and uprightness of the heart pure affections, uncorrupted by sinful lusts, integrity and uprightness of the will, pure, holy intentions and desires. That's what God desires. And that word desire means that God delights in it. God delights in it. God approves of it. God is pleased by it. It is acceptable to him. 
When God sees that there is truth in the inward parts, he is pleased. It is acceptable to him. He delights in it. It is his commandment to his creatures. It is his commandment to us that we have this truth in the inward parts. And so David then remembers what God desires remembers what is pleasing to God, truth in the inward parts. He then reflects upon his own depravity, namely that he is shapen in iniquity and he is conceived in sin. And the only appropriate response as you compare those two things is, behold, behold. David failed He failed in his outward behavior because of that corruption in his inward parts. And that's a deeply humbling experience, beloved, to compare what we ought to be with what we actually are. And our confession in Psalter number 140 is, I am evil, born in sin. Thou desirest truth within. Compare what God desired, what God delights in, with what David did. God desired truth in the inward parts, David lusted after Bathsheba. God desired truth in the inward parts. David brought Bathsheba to his bedroom where he committed adultery with her. God desired truth in the inward parts. David tried to cover up his sin by deceiving Uriah. God desired truth in the inward parts. David wrote a treacherous treacherous letter and put it in the hands of Uriah to be brought to Joab, the captain of the host. And that letter was the death warrant of Uriah, the husband of of Bathsheba. God desired truth in the inward parts. And David killed Uriah. God desired truth in the inward parts. And David covered up his sin of adultery and murder and refused to confess it for up to a year. God desired truth in the inward parts. And David would not repent. There is a horrifying contrast, beloved. Behold, thou desirest truth within. I am evil, born in sin. And that twofold knowledge, God's delight in inward truth, and the reality of our inward corruption must be properly applied. David knew these things, 
but David did not properly apply them. We Reformed, we know the doctrine of total depravity. We can defend it. We can argue about it with other people. We know the doctrine of original sin as well. We know these truths. We might even be proud of knowing these truths. But God has not revealed these truths, beloved, the truth of total depravity and the truth of original sin. He has not revealed these truths to us to make us proud, but to humble us. Do we realize how sinful we are? Not merely in our words and deeds, but in our inward parts, how sinful we are. And are we horrified when we see how sinful we are? David knew that even before he committed this sin. He could have confessed that truth. I was shapen in iniquity, in sin, my mother conceived me. He knew that. And yet, he did not watch and pray. He ought to have known, I am left to myself capable of the grossest evil. And now he knows by experience that he is capable of that grossest evil. But he didn't watch and pray. This truth, beloved, must make us careful. We're so depraved in our flesh that the slightest temptation could ignite a lust in our souls which could overpower and destroy us if God's grace did not preserve us. Do we believe that about ourselves? And yes, God promises to preserve us so that we do not perish in our sin, but God does not promise to preserve us from a lamentable fall if we presumptuously play with sin as David did. In fact, if we presumptuously play with sin, if we refuse to watch and pray as David refused to do, we are tempting God, we are provoking God to give us over to our sins. As God did with respect to David, to teach him a lesson. Here's how sinful you are, David. Here's what you are when left to yourself. And therefore, knowing our inner depravity, which we have even from our conception and birth, knowing our total depravity by nature, our calling is to crucify and mortify our sinful flesh. Not to feed it, not to indulge it, but to mortify it, as the Catechism tells us, to hate 
our sins and to be sorry for our sins and to flee from our sins and to seek the grace of God to fight against our sins lest we fall into them and ruin ourselves, if not eternally, to ruin our lives, to bring dishonor upon God and to bring horrible consequences upon ourselves. And so the text then is a warning to us. Pay attention to this. Behold. Behold. I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. The text, though, ends with a word of hope. A word of hope. In the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And we need that word of hope, beloved, because we have, as I said, we have these two things. What God desires, what God requires, what God delights in, on the one hand, truth in the inward parts, and what we are, on the other hand, hopelessly corrupt and depraved, what hope then is there for us? The hope is not this, try harder and you will, by dint of effort, overcome your sins. In fact, no man who has been shapen in iniquity and born or conceived in sin can ever overcome his sins. And so Augustine said, the great church father Augustine said, Grant what thou dost command, and command what thou wilt. God gives us the command, and then God gives us the grace to obey the command. Not perfectly, of course, but he does give us the grace. God commands us to have truth in the inward parts. God commands us to have this integrity of mind and heart and soul and will. And then God promises to give to us what he commands. In the hidden part, thou wilt make me to know wisdom. And although that's not going to be reached perfectly in this life, perfect truth in this life, in the inward man is impossible for us. And although depravity will, of course, remain in us all the days of our lives, God does make this promise to us. God does give us a true beginning of this. God does make us to know wisdom in the hidden part. And wisdom is the right application of knowledge. Wisdom is to know the truth and then Wisdom is to know how to use that truth, how to apply that truth to the glory of God. And God says to us in this word, I will give you wisdom in the hidden part, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, in your will. He gives that to us in regeneration. 
as he works in us new life from the dead. He gives that to us in conversion as he turns us from our sins towards himself. And he gives that to us as a fruit of election. It comes to us from election, as do all of the promises and all of the blessings of God. And that comes to us from the cross of Christ, where Christ purchased for us all of the blessings of salvation, including this great blessing of salvation, which, to, which is to have truth or wisdom in the inward parts. And so our calling then, beloved, is not to be discouraged and cast down and say to ourselves, well, I was shapen in iniquity, and I was conceived in sin, and therefore it is hopeless. I can never fight against my sin because it is hopeless. But our calling is to trust in God through Jesus Christ, and to realize, yes, we're going to struggle all the days with our sinful flesh, and we might even fall into transgressions, but the Spirit promises to give us wisdom. And so, beloved, we must be careful to know who we are, to understand our sinfulness, and then to take appropriate precautions because we understand our sinfulness. And yet, at the same time, to trust in God to supply that persevering grace so that we persevere all the way to the end, to the glory of his great name. Amen. Our Father in heaven, thou hast reminded us of how corrupt we are, and thou hast reminded us of what thou dost require of us, that truth in the inward parts, and thou hast also encouraged us with thy promise that thou wilt cause us to know wisdom in our inward parts. Send us forth, O Father, encouraged by thy word, careful to watch and to pray against temptation, and trusting in thee for thy grace. For Christ's sake, amen.